Thank you very much for the opportunity to speak today. Uh, what I wanted to do is focus in my contribution on what I think is an important aspect uh, to the political economy backdrop of the, of the revolution, and that is the increasing uh, significance of the regional scale uh, to the broader uh, politics or political economy of the Middle East. My, my key argument is that the nation state in the Middle East cannot be understood as a self-contained political economy that is separate from the ways it intertwines with the regional scale. Uh, the Middle East uh, operates increasingly at this regional scale and located at the core of this regional system are the Gulf Arab states uh, collected together in the Gulf Cooperation Council. So that's, that's the basic um, argument that I'm, I'm going to be making. Well, and its relation to Egypt is that in order to understand the, the significance uh, or to understand the uprising, I think we need to have uh, a sense of how the regional political economy has formed over the last two decades. And connected to this, the way in which class and state uh, formation at the national scale has been constituted in connection with the regional. I think this has important uh, political implications uh, for the, the, the forces that are arrayed against the revolution uh, and against the popular movements. And also, I think, in the nature of the political demands that we see um, in Egypt uh, today. So what I'm going to do is begin with a discussion of the, uh, uh, the regional changes and then come back to Egypt um, uh, in the second part of my talk. So if we consider the way that the regional political economy has changed over the last decade, it's clear, I think, that there has been a generalization of, of neoliberal policies across uh, virtually all states uh, uh, in the region. Uh, most countries have pursued policies, and, and Marie spoke uh, of this in the Egyptian context, of liberalization of ownership laws, uh, privatization, opening up uh, to foreign direct investment, uh, the privatization of state-owned industries, uh, and restructuring of tax regimes, uh, uh, informalization of work, uh, and deregulation of the labor market. Those, those uh, sorts of policies that we are very familiar with here in this country as well. Uh, in 2009, the Middle East was noted by the World Bank as being the region that would, had instituted the most reforms, the most neoliberal reforms uh, in the world of any other region. Uh, uh, and it recorded 17 out of 19 countries having um, achieved significant neoliberal reforms. Egypt was at the head of this process. Uh, according to the key uh, international financial institutions. In fact, the World Bank awarded Egypt with a prize uh, uh, annually from 2005 to 2008 uh, as being the country that had been the most successful reformer, neoliberal reformer, uh, they didn't use that language, but reformer uh, in, in, in the region. And I think this is something that's often missed in the amnesia uh, of history that characterizes any account of Western relationships with the region, that Egypt was really seen as being uh, the, the, the model uh, that should be followed uh, uh, of all, all Arab states. Now, I'm just going to quickly run through some, some slides to show uh, the regional context, some of, the, some of these uh, policies. This is uh, FDI inflows, foreign direct investment inflows into uh, the Middle East from 2000 to 2010. Uh, you can see, I hope the colors, uh, it's not so much the, 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 
uh, it's more looking, I guess, at the, the qualitative change that we can see in the second part of the 2000s here, with a very rapid increase in FDI flows uh, into, into the uh, region, into these uh, seven, eight countries that I've listed here. Egypt, of course, being at the top of this uh, policy and very, I think, connected, obviously, to what Marie was speaking about uh, previously. Uh, I'll come back to this one, actually. This one is uh, uh, private sector participation in the telecommunication sector. Uh, which has been a very important target of privatization policies. And again, we can see uh, Egypt has been at the, the forefront, the blue, the blue bar here, uh, and particularly, again, concentrated in the latter part of the, of the 2000s. Uh, so this gives an indication of how much private investment has flown into the telecommunications sector, uh, an indication of, of policies of opening up privatization and so forth. This is uh, transport. Uh, and you can see again concentrated mostly Egypt being a prominent uh, uh, representative and again concentrated in the latter part of the 2000s. And this one is water and sanitation, which uh, if you follow the, the, the writings of the international financial institutions, you will know is a key target of privatization across the, the whole of the South. Uh, and you will notice that in the Middle East North Africa region, it is not, it has not been, there has been some inflows uh, into Algeria and, and Jordan in particular. Egypt has not been a, a prominent, this, this runs up to 2009, has not been a prominent target, although it is very much seen as being the next big thing in the water sector, in the sanitation sector, um, particularly by uh, groups such as, or institutions like the European Bank for Reconstruction and Development, which has just entered Egypt uh, for the first time in, in the post-revolutionary post-revolutionary period. Uh, now, these obviously had uh, uh, different impacts, I guess, in, in, in uh, across individual countries. But the dynamic I want to emphasize has been the very, uh, or has been the connection of these policies of neoliberalism with the very rapid internationalization of Gulf-based capital uh, over the last decade, uh, particularly following the rising surpluses that have accumulated in the Gulf regions post-1999, particularly peaking in 2008 with the, with the oil price peak in 2008. What has happened in conjunction with these policies of privatization and, and liberalization is that Gulf-based capital has been the major uh, beneficiary and the major component of external capital flows or foreign investment uh, throughout the Middle East uh, region, most countries of the region. Now, there's a great deal of, I think, empirical evidence. This is very interesting to look at this uh, uh, across each country. I'm just going to run through some of these, uh, some indications of, the, of this. Now, this is um, uh, GCC outward FDI stock, foreign direct investment stock. So this is basically uh, what the Gulf owns uh, the value of what the Gulf owns, uh, sorry, as a percentage of, of outward stock across the whole of the Middle East and North Africa region. And we can see that about 70% or so forth of, of uh, outward FDI stock is owned by the GCC or the Gulf Cooperation Council, the, the, the countries of the Gulf Arab states. Now, uh, this is, I think, a very interesting uh, 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 chart as well. This is taken from ANIMA, which is an EU institution that monitors foreign direct investments um, in the Mediterranean region. 
which it defines, ANIMA defines the Mediterranean region as Algeria, Egypt, Israel, Jordan, Lebanon, Morocco, the Palestinian Authority, Syria, Tunisia, and Turkey. In these 10 countries, uh, projects announced by Gulf Arab investors in these 10 countries over the period 2003 to 2009, okay, uh, over, that, over that period, exceeded those from any other country uh, or region in the world. Okay, so this is, this is quite significant. Over those six years, 2003 to 2009, the GCC investments exceeded those from any other country or region in the world for that entire, for that entire period. Investment across those 10, those 10 states I, I outlined. More than 60% of investments from the Gulf went to Jordan, Lebanon, Egypt, Palestine, and Syria. And in these five countries, the value of the Gulf's investments in those five countries were more than three times that of the EU and 12 times that of North America. Okay, so we can see that they're very much uh, at the forefront of, of, of these investments. Now this, this, what I have this up here, the detail is not so important, but I've highlighted in yellow firms or sovereign wealth funds, private firms or sovereign wealth funds that are based in the Gulf uh, states. Uh, and you can see that uh, in, in Egypt, Jordan, Lebanon, uh, Libya, Palestine, and Tunisia, the GCC was the, the, the primary or the largest FDI uh, source from 2008 to 2010. And in the, in the final column of each of these, you can see in yellow some of the names of the projects. Um, and you can see they also rank among the top, um, the top investors or top announced projects. Now, again, uh, the, these, this is looking at the regional scale. I'm going to come to Egypt in a, in a second. Uh, but I do want to point out that these figures are, I think, quite striking. And they are more, more striking in that they do not include investments into the stock market. Okay? They do not include uh, uh, portfolio investments into the regional stock markets or other forms of development loans that come, for example, from Arab, uh, fr from you know, Saudi regional investors, Saudi in investors, government to government loans, these kinds of things. These are not included in these figures. Okay, so if we include those, uh, we can see uh, uh, the figures are quite striking. And moreover, contrary, I think, to some common misconceptions, a large proportion of these investments do not come from uh, sovereign wealth funds or from state-backed companies. They are also private uh, 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 firms located in the Gulf region. Okay, this is particularly true in, true in things like the retail sector and in things such as real estate. Okay, where uh, private firms are, are quite unique uh, or quite uh, uh, highly represented. So I think this, in in a way, uh, demarcates or distinguishes these flows from the earlier wave of petrodollar flows that occurred in the 1970s, which which tended to be much more government to government or, or sovereign wealth. Uh, investments rather than direct ownership stakes in private, uh, in, in, sorry, in, in, in firms that have been privatized or, or opened up to foreign investments. But the, the conclusion is that in all the key economic sectors across the Arab world, notably finance, real estate, uh, and land, retail, and telecommunications, in those sectors, Gulf firms and investment funds have displaced or merged with national uh, Arab capital. Uh, to become central to the reproduction of capitalism, I think, at the national scale. Now, Egypt provides a very striking uh, uh, illustration of this. 
And uh, as I mentioned, the, the, the neoliberal restructuring in Egypt has been praised very heavily by the World Bank and by the international financial institutions. But I would argue that since the mid-2000s, um, this privatization, this liberalization, has largely been sustained through the uh, expansion of the Gulf's regions, uh, Gulf region's pools of surplus capital. And I just wanted to quickly look at two key sectors um, to, to illustrate this. The first of these uh, is, is finance and banking, okay? the finance and banking sector. Uh, where there has been, under the whip of neoliberal uh, reform, uh, a divestment of state-owned funds in, uh, or, state -owned, or state investments in banks um, in, across Egypt. Um, in fact, the direct and indirect share of state-owned banks uh, declined from, uh, uh, or declined to 45.5% in 2009, from over 70% in 2004. That's the proportion of state investments in the banking system. So a, quite a rapid decrease over that, over that period. Now obviously, Western financial companies have taken a, a stake in this, but at the same time, capital from the Gulf region has become a significant player in the financial sector. Uh, in 2010, Gulf-based capital groups and sovereign wealth funds were major shareholders or directly controlled nine out of 12 of uh, the largest Egyptian commercial banks. Okay, nine out of 12 of the largest Egyptian commercial banks were uh, either had major Gulf shareholders or were directly controlled um, by Gulf uh, funds. Now, moreover, in addition to this direct ownership uh, of banking shares, Gulf investors were very heavily involved in some of the key financial non-banking companies. In particular, I wanted to point out one um, that I'm sure many people in the room are familiar with, that's EFG Hermes, uh, which is a, a major uh, private equity and financial fund. Uh, it's, it's coming to the media recently in Egypt or, or post the revolution because of its links to Gamal uh, uh, Mubarak. Uh, now this firm, is, uh, it was set up uh, and was very closely linked to the privatization policies uh, that occurred, writing in, in, in a sense, writing the privatization strategy for the Egyptian government uh, in, in many sectors. Uh, it was set up by Egyptian investors, but its major shareholders today are actually uh, based in the UAE, in the United Arab Emirates. So it's an example, I think, of how this is spread beyond just narrow banking to other um, parts of the financial sector. Now, another key sector of um, uh, where this intersection of neoliberalism and internationalization of Gulf capital can be seen is in land and real estate. Uh, and this, I think, is, is something uh, quite, uh, quite clear. And just looking at figures from uh, January 2012, so this is only a few months ago, of the 26 real estate developments um, that are worth more than 100 million US dollars um, ongoing in Egypt today, 50% of these, 13 out of 26, are fully owned by Gulf-based conglomerates. So these are the big tourism developments or, or apartment developments that are occurring um, across Egypt today, 50%. If we look at project value, 80% of the value of all real estate projects under development in Egypt today, 80% uh, are, are, are constituted by fully owned Gulf-based companies. So it's quite a, a remarkable uh, figure. Now, obviously, this is very connected to the process of uh, neoliberalism at, um, that occurred in the, in the early 2000s, particularly the land auctions that occurred uh, in Cairo, um, the sale of land in Cairo, as well as 
um, uh, land that was given out for virtually nothing, uh, either desert, desert uh, 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 reef reclamation project, one of Mubarak's favorite projects, uh, which was sold to uh, uh, Wali bin Talal, Saudi, Saudi prince, um, or lo locally based urban um, development projects. Now, this, so th these figures that I, I've, I've given are related to the largest, um, sorry, are related to fully owned Gulf projects. Now, if we look at uh, some of the other important Egyptian-based companies uh, that are real estate companies, particularly the 6th of October development company is one, um, uh, uh, is, is one that has a, a very important role in, in Egypt. Uh, these companies are also connected heavily to the Gulf as well. Okay, so even companies that we would normally see as Egyptian companies have major representation on their, on their boards, in their share ownership, uh, by uh, Gulf-based investors. So in short, Egyptian uh, finance and real estate, two sectors that are obviously very closely linked to one another and which constitute strategic pivots of the neoliberal project, I think provide a strong confirmation of the salience of the regional scale. A large majority of the country's top financial institutions and most of its real estate development is directly tied to Gulf-based capital. Indeed, the process of liberalization in Egypt was arguably predicated upon this internationalization of Gulf capital and the incorporation of it into the anatomy of the Egyptian uh, class struggle. Now, obviously, I'm not trying to deny it that neoliberalism was at the same time a domestic project um, that enriched leading conglomerates within Egypt itself. Uh, but what I would argue is that without an appreciation of the intertwining of both the domestic and regional scales, it becomes very difficult to map the contending social forces of the ongoing uh, revolutions. Now, uh, I want to just turn to, how much time do I have now? Just under five minutes. Okay. So, uh, I, one point before I, I turn to just some brief political uh, comments around this. I, the, the, the processes that I've described were sharpened, I think, by the 2008 economic crisis. And this, I think, is, is quite an important point. Because what happened in 2008 with the global downturn is that initially the, the, the Gulf region was hit quite hard by the downturn. But because of its accumulated surpluses, because of the fact that the, most of uh, the working population in the Gulf are migrant workers, and many, particularly in places like Dubai, could be, could be um, sent home after the crisis, uh, what happened is the Gulf managed to uh, overcome the crisis uh, after about six months or so of some, of some uh, turmoil. And in effect, the crisis had the impact of actually strengthening the leading Gulf conglomerates and, and the ruling families in the, in the region. Now this contrasts sharply with what happened in the rest of the Middle East, okay? particularly places like Egypt that were hit hard by drops in exports, drops in uh, uh, migrant remittances and, and so forth by the crisis. So the crisis had the effect of actually widening the regional differentiation, widening uh, the difference between the Gulf and the rest of, of, of the region itself. Um, and I think that's very important for understanding the current, the current context. So to finish with some, some political uh, comments and conclusions, firstly, I think it's impossible to treat the national and regional scales as two distinct political spheres. What appears at first glance to be national struggles, in, in, in this case, the Egyptian uh, revolution, that are contained within individual nation states, 
inevitably grow to confront the construction of these broader uh, regional hierarchies and the Gulf's place within them. Now, I'm not claiming here that the, the slogans and the demands of the, of the Egyptian uprising uh, explicitly target the GCC. Uh, obviously, that's not the case. But I would argue that contained within their logic is an implicit challenge to the regional order as it has developed over the last decade or so. The struggles against dictatorship that the uprisings represented are simultaneously intertwined with the way that capitalism has developed across the region, and in this sense are also struggles against the Gulf. Okay? And I think we can see this in terms of specific struggles that are unfolding today in Egypt. Some of them in the, in the textile sector, uh, absentee Gulf uh, owners of, of textile firms I, I know have been quite prominent. In the land, question of land ownership, many of the, um, the struggles around land relate to uh, Gulf uh, uh, owners. Legal struggles that have taken place to, and I know there's an attempt, quite a, a ferocious attempt by political forces in Egypt to try and give uh, uh, the Gulf investors immunity or to guarantee their investments um, in, in the state post-revolution. Um, post uh, and I think if the economic direction of the Egyptian uh, government continues in the same neoliberal direction, then we are going to see the GCC um, as being a key feature of the social struggles that emerge, particularly in sectors like water that I mentioned, um, that I mentioned earlier. So that's, that's one, one thing I would say. The second point I would make is that I think this gives us a, a way of connecting the struggles that are taking place in the Gulf region itself Particularly, of course, I would highlight uh, Bahrain uh, as being a key uh, focus, obviously, of, of, of struggles. Um, as as, as uh, seeing these struggles as being connected in many ways, um, and the importance of which uh, uh, of, of understanding and giving solidarity, I think, between these these different these different struggles that we see, not seeing them as contained um, within the single nation state. Uh, now, I'm not arguing here that uh, you know we're seeing a return to pan-Arabism. But I am arguing that in order to uh, solve the problems uh, that the Egyptian revolution is attempting to put on the table and attempting to solve, it needs to move beyond the, the scale of the nation state and look at it um, at, a regional, at a regional perspective. I will conclude here, but to make the point, I think that there is, uh, make the final point that there is, I think, a great need to develop and understand uh, how this regional political economy has evolved over the last uh, last decade and the, and the role of the GCC states, and to look more broadly at how these questions relate to other actors in the region, particularly Turkey and Iran, which um, uh, in some ways have similar trajectories. Uh, so I think this is also significant given the deepening of the economic crisis in, in Europe, uh, which will also have, have, a, have uh, uh, ramifications on, on the Middle East as a whole. Thank you. Thank you.